Last week we read the first 11 verses of chapter 37 of Genesis. And if you want to open your Bibles once again to Genesis chapter 37, we'll continue to look at some thoughts here before we leave this passage. We won't read all of that passage again. We might read a few of them again. But we are beginning to look at the life of Joseph and how God used him. And last week we ended by looking at the different ways, three specific ways in which we could study the life of Joseph. And the first one, we can see how God used him as an instrument to preserve the nation of Israel and to to bring in the Savior. And then secondly, we saw him as a type of Christ. There are many things in the life of Joseph and his experience that were a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to fulfill in its completeness. And then we wanted to begin to study his personal faith as an individual, what it means to live by faith and what it meant for Joseph to live by faith in the experiences that he experienced. And so we'll continue along that line. But before we actually look at some of the personal lessons that we can learn from his faith, we kind of have to ask some questions because some have considered Joseph kind of a spoiled brat and a tattletale. And when I first heard a fellow believer express that about Joseph, I just kind of scratched my head. And I don't see that in Joseph. And of course, the reference is that his father loved him above his brethren. That's true. And gave him a coat of many colors, which was a a sign of of honor and may actually have been an indication that Jacob understood that Joseph was going to inherit the, the, the birthright of the firstborn, even though he was not the, the firstborn. And so because of that, and then we see, if you want to go back there to Genesis 37, verses 3 and 4, because he, he gave, well, that's, that's where we see the, the coat of many colors. But we also see in verse 4 that, But when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably with him. So, so his flaunting, some people would say, his coat of many colors. Well, his father gave him that recognition. And it was probably a good thing for them to understand that Joseph was going to inherit that birthright and to, to understand that from a... Uh, from the beginning. And we see the jealousy there. Obviously, there's some real carnal carnality going on, and maybe even in Jacob showing special favor over and above, giving him that, that coat of many colors. But when you have a family made up of 12 sons, one father, and four mothers, there's going to be some jealousy. There's going to be some problems. And we certainly see that, that uh, taking place here. But Joseph was clearly called by God to a special place. And Joseph, from a very early age, seems to have understood that. Jacob seems to have understood it in a certain degree. Now, clearly, as we will find out, Jacob had, had, has yet to have a full revelation of what God's plan was for Joseph. But when we read those first 11 verses there, we see that Jacob did ponder some things. He didn't just write it off completely. He was kind of open to the dreams that that Joseph had, and yet he did not fully embrace them, and he did not fully believe them. 
If he had, if Jacob had really believed that God had given Joseph these dreams, that he was going to rule over his family, that he was going to sit on a throne, if Jacob had had full faith in that promise, it would have saved him years of grief when he thought Joseph was dead, because he would have known that God was going to fulfill his promise in Joseph's life. And then when we see that Joseph gave a a bad report about his stepbrothers to his father, some people think, well, he was just tattling on them. There's a difference between taking advantage of someone's failings, someone's sin, in order to advance yourself and just to hurt them. And Joseph didn't do that. And, and that is wrong when you take advantage of someone else's failings to hurt them and to promote yourself. But it's not wrong, and especially when Jacob clearly had put confidence in Joseph. And this is why he sent him with his stepbrothers, because Jacob seems to understand that his sons were somewhat uh, scoundrels and that they weren't trustworthy. And they were possibly even stealing from their father. And so Joseph reported this to his father for the good of his father and for the good of the family. Because if, if all other 11 brothers do whatever they want and, and take whatever they want, the family's not going to survive. It, it, it is a business. It's a family business. And so Joseph wasn't out of line for, for reporting their evil doing to their father. It was quite acceptable. If you... Go to 1 Corinthians 5. We can see some parallels today in our own experience. There are those that consider when when we confront the sin of others that we are being judgmental, that we are being wrong, that we think that we're better than everyone else. And if that is our attitude when we confront the sins of others, then yes, we are wrong. But when those sins are confronted for the good of the individual and for the good of the congregation, then it's a positive thing. And that's what I believe Joseph was doing when he gave a a bad report about his stepbrothers. In 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians, and he said, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And you, the congregation in general, are puffed up. I always thought that was strange. Why would a congregation be proud about such a gross immoral sin that not even the moral unsaved people would possibly think about doing? Why would they be puffed up? Has there ever been anything like that in in our day and age, oh, we're grace saints. Yes, we, we don't talk about sin. We don't notice sin. God doesn't notice sin. We're grace saints. They're puffed up. They're proud. Well, look at, look at what we allow in our congregation because we have grace and we know grace. No, that's, that's not the grace of God. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present, Paul said, him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, 
with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, well, that's, that's quite a gathering, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Paul says it's a good thing to confront sin for two reasons. To protect the individual that has fallen in that sin, which is destructive and can only bring death and loss, and to give them the opportunity to repent and return to a place where God can bless them. That's a good thing. That's not tattling. And it's also for the protection, because there are times when such an individual that has fallen into sin doesn't repent and doesn't want to return. And it's still essential for the congregation as a whole and the the leadership of the church to confront that sin for the protection so that 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 sin does not dominate among God's people. And we have all known congregations and assemblies where when these things are allowed, in fact, when there's boasting because we're grace and we tolerate those things, we see that that begins to characterize the congregation in general. And things just continue to go from bad to worse. And so if we really love our brother or sister in Christ, there is that need to confront. It's not tattling, but it is to give an opportunity for the grace of God that can take you where you have fallen. In fact, Paul later in the second letter to the Corinthians, that individual that Paul was praying for, he repented. And then the Corinthians went the other extreme and they weren't going to accept his repentance. Well, Paul says, that's not right. If there's a true acknowledgement and a turning from that thing, then there is to be restoration. That's the grace of God. And that's how we should apply it to our lives and to the lives of others. First Peter 4, verses 7 and 8. This is how sin among God's people should be dealt with. Joseph dealt with this, confronted it, reported it to his father for the good of the family, for the good of his father, and for the good of his family, to protect them. In 1 Peter 4, and verses 7 and 8, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, many interpret this, this verse to say that love covers up a multitude of sins, but that's not what's meant here at all. The Bible teaches that we cover sin in our life and in the life of others by repentance, by a returning. And so when you love someone, when you want what's best for them, you know, according to the word of God, that sin is not what's best for them. And if you love them, what are you going to do? You're going to give them every opportunity and encourage them to return to the path of righteousness because you love them, not because you're tattling on them, not because you think you're better than they are. In fact, Paul warns about that. Restore them, but remember that you could fall in that same trap just as easily. 
but because you love them. You point out these things and point to the way of restoration. That's how sin is covered. James tells us the same things in, in James five nineteen and 20. James chapter 5 and verses 19 and 20. Brethren, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, notice the description, someone wanders from the truth into sin, and someone who turns him back, back to where? Back to truth, back to obedience. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul, deliver from death, most likely it's a reference to physical death here, and cover a multitude of sins. So what covers the multitude of sins? Love and turning them back to truth. That's what covers sin, restores an individual and delivers from the consequences of sin. You cover sin by bringing them back to truth. So I don't believe Joseph was a spoiled brat. I don't believe he was a tattletale as some have said. And again, it just boggles my mind how anyone can conclude that after you go on to see how this young man dealt with every trial that was thrown at him. He dealt with it with maturity and with faith. And that didn't happen overnight. This was something that his faith in Jehovah had been developing in him since he was a child. And so this is how we should see Joseph. The next question we have to ask, well, was he being arrogant and boastful when he told his dreams to his brothers and then later to his mom and dad and brothers? Was he just showing off? Why would he do that? He should have known it was going to make them mad. They already didn't like him. And then to say, you know, God showed me in a dream that you guys are going to bow down to me. Who gave him the dream? God. He was simply sharing the revelation that God had given him concerning his will, not only for Joseph, but for the family. And of course, that them bowing down to him ultimately was because that's how God was going to preserve Jacob. Otherwise, Jacob and all of his sons and all the promises made to him were going to perish off the earth. So Joseph was just revealing the will of God. This is what God showed me. He he, he didn't come up with it. He didn't Pretend like this was his idea. It was the will of God. Has anyone ever gotten angry with you when you have told them what the will of God is? Whether it be for salvation or whether they should go a certain direction and avoid going another direction. Has, has anyone ever gotten mad at you when you just told them what the Bible says? It happens all the time, doesn't it? It happened with Joseph. That's all it was. It wasn't arrogance. It was just a sharing of what God had revealed to him. John 10, Joseph's proclaiming the truth of God's revealed will. It wasn't the first time, and it certainly wasn't the last time in the history of man that truth made people angry. (laughs) Truth makes people angry until the light gets turned on. Jesus, in chapter 10 of John, in verses 26 to 33, Was Jesus wrong for saying what he says here? But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, 
who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and my Father are one. What wonderful truth that is. That should just make everybody happy. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. (laughs) After he spoke that wonderful revelation of the Father's will, they were so angry they wanted to kill him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father, for which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Well, he was God. He is God. Truth sometimes makes people angry. That doesn't mean we should not speak it. Joseph had every right to declare the will of God. That was not only for him, but for the family. But they didn't accept it. First Timothy three fourteen to 16. First Timothy three fourteen to 16. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among you Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. That simple truth of the gospel that we are charged with, that we've been entrusted with, that simple message of salvation, as glorious as it is, makes some people mad. You think I'm a sinner? I'm not any worse than anybody else. In fact, I'm better than most people. What does the truth say? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You see, we're supposed to speak truth. We're supposed to do it in love, Paul tells us. Do it because we want what's best for others. We want what's best for God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Also, 2 Timothy 2 and verses 1 and 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. So even when truth is rejected, we should still speak it. If you care about people, if you love people, speak the truth. Not your truth, not their truth, but God's truth. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we're responsible for truth. If we don't tell people what the will of God is, who's going to tell them? God has graciously revealed it to us, just as he graciously revealed it to Joseph. He's given us a few things that, to share. When we think about different truths, I, even our brothers, just as Joseph shared with his brothers, have you ever shared the message of, the, of ranks in the resurrection and somebody got mad at you or at least didn't receive it? They're just thinking, oh, you, you, you think you're just better than everybody else. <laughs> that there's going to be a special group that will make up the Lamb's wife, those that are faithful to him in this life. And there are those that will say, 
that's not right. I'm talking about Christians, other Christians, your brothers and sisters in the Lord. They'll reject that, oh, you may sit on the throne, but somebody else may not. But is that not what God's revealed in his word? Are we not to share that because some people don't like it? Well, God has made his will clear in his word. And so may we be faithful. We'll find out that Joseph is going to go through some horrific trials because he spoke the truth and his brothers hated him for it. From Joseph's example of faith, we can learn how to live by faith. The prosperity faith teachers of today, I think they've torn out the the account of Joseph because they don't seem to have an understanding of what faith really is. But when I look at Joseph, that's what it means to live by faith. You have a personal, intimate revelation, understanding of what the will of God is. And that is your anchor no matter what you experience. And when it's all said and done, Joseph was promised to rule. Did Joseph rule? He did. What we're also going to find out in all of those trials, they weren't just, well, yeah, God fulfilled the promise, but he wasted all that time in in between. What we're going to find out is each of those deep trials were not a waste of time. They were the preparation for him to sit on the throne. Can you believe that about your trials? When they seem so overwhelming and impossible, God promised to take care of me. He promised glory. I I could sit in the throne with Jesus Christ. Why am I going through this? Well, if we allow the enemy to focus our attention on that moment, we allow him to steal our crown. But if we will take God at his word, this is working for my good. We, We don't have to understand how. I don't think Joseph, as he went through these different trials and different steps, I'm not sure he fully understood what God was doing at that time. But we have the advantage of looking back and from beginning to end, and we see what God did, and we see how all along God prepared Joseph to rule. He's doing the same for you. He's given you a personal revelation in his word, not a dream, but in his word. He said all things are working together for your good. He said they work for you a far more exceeding weight of glory. He said that. He said you can sit in the throne with his son, a joint equal heir with Christ. He said it. Can you trust him that even this present unwanted trial is preparing you for that place? That's what faith is. May the Lord help us to take him at his word. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed this evening.